the incomparable. Number 519, June 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about a Pixar movie. Yes, Pixar Club returns. We are very, 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 extremely, very slowly uh, moving through the various works of Pixar Animation Studios, and we're up to Wally from 2008, co-written and directed by Andrew Stanton. And uh, we're going to be talking about, yes, it's a movie with lots of robots and a few humans, but mostly robots and sound effects. It, uh, it stars Ben Burt in many ways, in so many ways. Um, but we'll get to that. I'm going to introduce you to our lovely panel of non-robots. They're all humans. They're sitting in a chair. They're being fed. And they may <laughs> not be aware that there's a swimming pool. G. McDonald is here. Hello. <laughs> Uh, hello, and I'm very aware there is no swimming pool where I am right now. All right. Kelly Gamont is here. Uh, welcome. I have to take issue with your introduction because I actually am a robot. My name is an acronym that stands for Knowledge Endowing List Loader Yavin Class. Yeah. Kel <laughs> E. Kel E. E. Fair enough. Moises Chuyan is also here. Hello. Out there, there's a world outside of the incomparable Jason. I'm sorry. I meant no. hello, Moises. <laughs> Exclamation mark. And Steve Lutz. Steve Lutz, you're also here. Congratulations. Uh, and also also danger. Rogue robots. <laughs> Actually, Jason, that's pronounced Steva. Steva. Yeah. It's adorable. You've been mispronouncing it all these years. I'm finally finally gonna correct it. A you. sugar replacement sweetener. Yes. <laughs> so this is the follow-up for Andrew Stanton from Finding Nemo, which was like made a bazillion dollars and was incredibly successful. And it was also a successful film, but I think I, one of the things that struck me about it and watching it again is this definitely feels like a movie being made by somebody who had a commercial success and felt that he could use it to try some stuff out that like was a little outside the norm and i say especially the fact that there is very little dialogue in this movie and you don't see a human being character other than other than fred willard <laughs> moment of silence for fred willard thanks 2020 rest in peace yeah. for like 40 minutes there are no human characters in this movie it's just robots and uh, yes a tv screen with some video of fred willard and it's it's pretty remarkable. It's full of sound effects and lots of robot characters and not a lot of dialogue and everything's visual. And I do think that maybe Andrew Stanton was trying to, you know, do something different after having made a billion dollars for Pixar with uh, mm -hmm. with Finding Nemo. You know, I, I want to start with that first half hour because I think the first half hour is pretty remarkable. And then there is a Pixar movie that happens after it. But the first half hour where Wally is basically kind of alone on planet Earth, this robot that whose job is to be a trash compactor, essentially a mobile trash compactor, but has a whole like side hustle where he collects tchotchkes <laughs> from the departed humanity and uh, it, and like has obviously found a lot of head cleaning cassettes because he can play a, stuff on a VCR, <laughs> which is very impressive. Yeah, I, I'm I'm never not charmed when I watch that first half hour in how beautiful and weird and uh, and dialogueless it is. I I, I think it's pretty amazing. 
Um, you know, and I know at the time it was also hailed as being, I, I remember one article basically saying the first 30 minutes of Wally is 30 of the best minutes ever made in a movie. And I'm not sure I disagree with that. It, I think it's pretty great. But Steve, you're making mouth noises. What's going on? Oh, I don't know. When's he not making mouth noises? Let's be honest. I, I got to agree. It, it, uh, it's, it's definitely a thing. Um, <laughs> It's very cool that they managed to pull this off with 30 minutes of almost nothing going on except robot noises and gags. And uh, <laughs> There are many gags. I'd forgotten how many gags are in that first 30 minutes. There are loads of gags. Well, I mean, what else are you going to fill the time with? That first 30 minutes, it harkens back to their shorts where it's it's the longest Pixar short ever made. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many, you know, cockroach gags and various garbage gags and, of course, all the things with the various... Uh, items he's found from humanity in the garbage heap. Right. Well, I mean, you got to you got to fill the time that would otherwise be filled in with dialogue with something. But yeah, I, I agree. That's it's it's a remarkable thirty minutes. Um, but I, I, the only thing I was making mouth noises about was the idea that it's like the most the most remarkable thirty minutes yeah, in cinematic I mean, history, was, which was, seems uh, a, a bit, bit much. A bit, a bit a bit of uh, you know hype for the movie, but it stuck with me because I was like, wow, that is a bold statement. And yeah, I'm not sure I would put it as the top thirty minutes in human history of film, but uh, it's a pretty amazing thirty minutes and remarkable in what it's not, which is it's not a lot of snappy dialogue and stuff like that that you expect to see in an animated movie. It is much more, you know, it is visual. And that includes both gags and kind of beautiful things and lots of fun sound effects by Ben Burt. For those people who don't know, Ben Burt is the Skywalker sound genius. He made all the sound effects essentially for Star Wars and many other things. And he crafted a lot of the soundscape of this movie, including Wally, and is literally credited as Wally in this movie because it's really a movie of sound effects and these robot sounds. I mean, it's virtually its own score that's running sidelong to the actual film score here. Yeah. Because yeah. there's nothing but noise. Noise and score, and that's it. But it does seem to move li right along, which is one of the things that I noticed about it is that in watching it again, I very much in I very much enjoyed it, and I never really. I mean, I love this movie very, very much. So, like, but I've never had a moment in that first bit where I sort of go, "Well, when does the movie start? Like, when do I get to the story? When am I gonna find out?" Like you know, let's, let's get going here. And I never have that because I always end up looking around at everything and listening to it. And, you know, I feel like the music should have been credited as a character because of that first half hour. And then, you know, the other, the other places later where there is no dialogue and all we have this is the music to go with it. And I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that piece of this movie, like as a piece of storytelling, that first bit. And I think I kind of agree with Moises that it's um, kind of a it, it, it feels like a long Pixar short, like you're getting a story, even if there's no dialogue to move through it. Yeah, I, I just think they need that amount of time to develop Wally's character, because once uh, once, you know, he's not the only character in the film. OK, except for the cockroach, he, <laughs> you know, a lot is going on and. We have to understand like where he's coming from, what motivates him to do all the things he do, does in the rest of the film, you know, mm -hmm. and if he was just like kind of a cute robot, it wouldn't make, you know, quite as much sense. But we have to root for him. I think the one of the things that strikes me about the first 30 minutes also is the absence of humanity in this that. Um, mm -hmm. Not not to say that Wally isn't a very human character. That's the whole in a grand tradition of robots and androids and stuff throughout <laughs> history. He's he's got emotions and he is uh, collected. Like 
in Wally, humans are gone from the face of planet Earth, but we've left behind a rich legacy of <laughs> of relics and garbage. Yes. And and Wally has picked the relics out of the garbage and treasures them. And so we, you know, he is he's got his bins. It's such a delightful moment when he goes back to his little shed that he's got. And he's got yeah. not just the videotape of Hello Dolly, but he's got all of the other trinkets he's collected over time that he finds fascinating. And it really is is I think fascinating that he you know, he is sifting through what we've left behind and kind of judging like what we have <laughs> left that is of worth and what is not. And it's like, yes, your video VHS of Hello Dolly, that that's worth something. The rest of the stuff I will compact into a series of cubes and leave them behind. <laughs> well, and one of those gags is like he finds an engagement ring, you know, a great big diamond <laughs> ring oh, in a box, opens the box and goes... Eh, chucks the ring over his shoulder and is very impressed with the little blue velvet box. Saves with the box. Yeah, yeah saves yes. the box. Yeah. I enjoy his commentary on the other Wally's work as well, like when he has to un he has to remove the hubcap from a previously compacted cube because he detects yeah. it as a treasure that uh, apparently uh -huh. one of his cohorts failed to notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's uh the 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 piles of I, I just think there's there's several moments where you realize that there are these these it, it's a city with skyscrapers and yet the mm -hmm. piles of garbage that have been compacted over the course of as it turns out hundreds of years by various mm -hmm. robots including wally uh they ultimately reach far higher than the skyscrapers do that they have that you know they are very gradually compacting all of humanity's refuse into these cubes and 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 obviously they're at this point, most of the Wallies seem to have died out. Like he's making himself, he's self-replicating by picking up parts from other Wallies, but there are not mm -hmm. a lot of Wallies out there. He may be the last one or at least the last one that's anywhere near, um, but he's still doing his job, but also keeping himself entertained by picking up the, the, you know, the wheat from the chaff, or maybe it's the chaff from the wheat. I, I can't decide what he, because he's throwing the diamond <laughs> ring away, but keeping the box. Those skyscrapers of trash, truly the monument to what humanity deserves to be remembered for, uh, you know, if you think about it in a way. I, I found it fascinating around the release of the movie that, that Pixar and Disney PR kind of bent over backwards to go, no, 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 there's there's no, this isn't like a big ecological statement movie, which is hilarious. Uh, I just, uh, I, yeah, that, that was some of the, that was the some of the best. No, 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 no. Of course, we're not doing exactly the thing that we're obviously totally doing. doing yeah no. by the way yes all of that subtext that is the subtext um i i had an interesting first interaction with the movie where my first interaction with the movie was not seeing the whole movie it was at a press preview where i saw the first half hour and then the bit with wally and eve and the escape pod and i didn't see any of humanity i just saw the pre-humanity stuff also known as the parts of the movie that people remember the, yeah, the parts of the movie that people remember the absolute best. Um, it, I mean, it's, it, it is, it is why the rest of the movie works because you care about Wally and he doesn't fade into the background as a supporting player in his own movie. The text of him being the audience point of view character because he's all that we've got for the first half hour of things. It balances really well. Um, I, I, I don't know, I don't know that I will ever be comfortable saying this is one of the greatest films of all time in the way that many people uh, who are obsessed with making lists and telling people they're wrong for having opinions do. Well, you're wrong. How <laughs> dare you? And how did I know that was coming? Um, but it, th this one for me, 
really stands the test of time as one of Pixar's most perfect overall compositions. Um, not that all of its parts are perfect. Uh, and if anything, part of the message of the movie is, is about imperfections and valuing the things that other people don't value. I, I just, I love the way the whole thing hangs together. And that first half hour is, is what all of that begins hinging on. If you don't care about Wally, you don't care about anything else. Right. You know, the environmental message thing, I mean, very clearly this part of this movie is basically we are filling our planet full of garbage and it's going to be so bad that we're just going to have to say, I'm out of here for a while. But yeah. the other the other thing it's also saying is this is I, I, what I wrote down is it's literally end stage capitalism because all that's <laughs> left is by and large and garbage. That's literally all that's <laughs> yep. left. And the by that's and large thing. corporation, which is kind of a kind of Costco if it owned everything. It is also the engine, it turns out, that is it, it is driving the other part of the movie because it is the uh, generator of all these ships that have been sent out with people that are just kind of meandering through space because Earth is no longer habitable. Um, and that's, that's, we get much more of that in the, in, in the rest of the movie. But, you know, here, also, I, you know, I think it's fair to say this first 30 minutes, like, it is the cheeriest post-apocalyptic thing you're ever going to find, <laughs> right? Like, we don't really know if there are even people alive while we're watching this, but it's like, yeah, but there's a robot and a cockroach because they survive everything, including getting run over repeatedly. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of our stuff has survived and they appreciate what we did. And But it really is like the ruins of humanity. And I had one of those moments which is like, yeah, I mean, we talk about the, the, the lady dying at the beginning of Up and, you know, there, there, there are things that are dark or sad and Pixar movies, but th this cheery movie, fun movie about robots does begin with a completely abandoned Earth that is essentially the end of the world has happened and all that is left is a very cheery robot who has <laughs> some solar panels and a collection of boxes. Because there's no inkling of there being any humanity to to anywhere no not until we finally get back to the axiom later in the movie there's no right. sign that humanity's actually survived right and there's no like telegraphing of that either like oh they're coming oh there will be people like just wait like there's never any of that at all in the first half hour the first time i saw this movie i wondered if eve and her spaceship that brings eve to earth I, I when i first saw it i was like are these aliens are they going to find the, like the yeah. last representative of humanity is this wacky robot who lives here now i don't know <laughs> well there there is the, the one bit where i i feel like they felt like they had to add this but i it, i would really prefer that they hadn't but there's the bit where uh where wally goes by and and activates a billboard talking about how humanity is taking off in these big ships and uh you know we're introduced to human fred willard talking about how everybody's taking off because of the trash and and kind of gives you a general idea of that there probably is some humanity left out in space somewhere and i really wish they hadn't put that in because it's <laughs> it's much more interesting when you're like what's uh what am i looking at here <laughs> yeah. did, did we all die off yeah there, there is a little a little bit of a sort of explore the outworld or what explore the outer colonies or whatever the line is from from blade runner there's a little bit of that like oh <laughs> yeah. but we can get on a ship da, da, da. but still you don't really know and it does turn out it's been hundreds of years right like that 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 is a real years? right yeah it's a seven seven hundred years i think since yeah humanity left earth so which was supposed to be five years uh yeah. in that ad he's like spend your oh. five years right you know it's like uh, quarantine you know <laughs> yes 
And he later makes the comment, we're on year one, year 700 of our five-year cruise. <laughs> right, right. They, they, they mention what day it is on the mission. And I, you know, you could do the math really quickly before they say, by the time I, I was doing the math while they said 700 years, and I was like, oh, it is 700.013. <laughs> like literally it's, it is right at 700 years. Somebody just kind of did that. But, but still, I just, I, I found it a, a, an interesting little shade to this first 30 minutes that the people are gone the world is is has ended we don't really know but also fred willard we got to talk about it fred willard recently passed away he's great he's great in everything i've ever seen him in uh what's really notable about him here is that if you've watched a lot of pixar movies i believe he is still technically the only speaking role of a live action person in a Pixar movie as the CEO of by and large. And it was jarring when I originally saw this movie, right? It's like, whoa, there's like <laughs> live action in my animation. What's that about? And it it's Fred Willard. Like, person <laughs> in my Pixar movie. It's still jarring and I still don't understand why they did it, other than that it's Fred Willard and Fred Willard's a great guy to see. It's it's jarring and I think it works because it is because it is so jarring and if you want to if you want to put that responsibility in a in a in a pair of capable yes and hands <laughs> you put them in one of the great <laughs> improvisers of all time uh who even when the lines are scripted I mean it just it, it comes off like poetry. It, it does feel like a document from an, uh, from like an alien time and place. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons. I think also maybe Andrew Stanton really uh, was intrigued by the idea of doing some live action things. And then he went on to make a live action movie. Right. Like, I yeah. think that was part of it, too. Yeah. But I do think that it is effective. It is super weird. But I think it's kind of effective because it's so weird. It's like, you know, we're seeing cgi robots but that's a regular old fred willard there it's it's just Mm. it's it makes it seem like it's a document from a completely different movie or a completely different time which i think it's effective to keep us off kind of like wrong-footed while we're watching the apocalypse happen well it's weird no matter how you slice it ray because it's a regular person in a computer animated film it's not john ratzenberger although he's in it too (laughs) later you you hear him but you never but you don't see him him. so there's so like every way that you look at it like it's still never what you would expect to see so it's very odd yeah i don't really like it all right i think it's distracting and it 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 feels like a stunt that there's really no payoff for i don't really like you and i find you distracting (laughs) and there's no payoff to you uh, that's a fair point. <laughs> I think Fred, Fred Willard is uh, is good. I do think it's. I, I, oh, I, I love could Fred see, Willard. I could see. I could see saying that it seems strange. I I like it because it's so out of character for a Pixar movie to have a live action segment dropped into it that that I kind of sit yeah. up and notice yeah. every time. If I felt like there was a point to that, then I would probably agree with you. But I don't. It feels like something they just threw in, and they were like, "Hey, let's see what happens here." Yeah, yeah. We'll have the historical footage be live action, even though everything else is CGI. It's fine. It doesn't make me angry or anything. It's just, it's not my favorite. Uh, how how do people feel about the choice of using songs from and clips from the musical Hello, Dolly as a motif in this? Um, it's an interesting choice. Um, I think it's kind of cute. I think that the fact that Wally is sifting through garbage and came up with Hello, Dolly. I mean, maybe that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, all the Hello Dolly people hate me now. <laughs> Jason looks forward to your letters. Yes. So I recently rewatched it because um, my my recommendations in streaming were getting too like dark, dark true crime 
disaster <laughs> oriented and I was like stuck in bed. So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta pump up to the happy side of life. And I started watching every musical that Amazon would recommend for me. And I'm like, oh, I'll watch Hello, Dolly, which I did see in the theater with, I remember, with my mom and thinking it was kind of boring, you know, um, except for the cool costumes. But recently rewatching it, I was like, oh, this is a great peppy movie. And it really makes you feel good, like throughout. And I, I'm a big fan now. And so seeing that come up out of the blue, I mean, because I didn't remember, I knew there was a movie, you know, I, I, I didn't really remember which one um, since I saw Wally the first time in 2008. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good scene. And I think it just is like pure spun sugar fun and happiness in in a little square box that makes it stand out. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, what it's from, like, probably a lot of the audience won't even realize where it's from because it doesn't show the major characters and it doesn't play the major theme. And so it's like, it's not distracting. You know, it's just like, he likes it. And that's all we care about. But I did enjoy that. And I also liked, um, I don't know how intentional it was, but having La Vie en Rose, the Louis Armstrong version, right was like yeah oh who also stars in hello dolly Mm -hmm. so one of the things that that is part of the 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 origin of that is that andrew stanton was in a production of hello dolly in high school and it meant a lot to him and it was a big foundational experience for him and i think a lot of the subjective specific stuff that he pulled from that that forms the backbone of wally's nostalgia and sentimentality um you when you know something as well as Andrew Stanton knows Hello Dolly, that's what makes it fit into this. Where you know I've, I've seen various arguments over the years of people going, "Well, why didn't they just you know use West Side Story or use this?" Or I hate Well Hello Dolly, stupid Hello Dolly. That that it means that much to him is the reason that it works so well in the excerpted intercut context um, in in the little blips of it that that mean the most to Wally uh, because mm-hmm. he has that kind of recall to it. You know, there there are a few dozen musicals that mean a whole lot to me and I know really well, but there are only a handful that that I know in the way that I feel like Andrew Stanton knew Hello Dolly going into this. That's that's why it translated so well into serving the purpose that he wanted it to. My suspicion was that the song that that features most heavily that da 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 was just perfect, yeah. And the movie just kind of followed, and it it also has the whole out there section that they can play over the credits and show space at the same time. And I feel like the musical probably just came along for the ride because that song is just so one hundred percent ideal to to sort of match Wally's cheerful attitude. It's not hard to imagine Andrew Stanton driving home from work one day and, you know, putting on Hello, Dolly for the millionth time and having <laughs> having a wait a minute kind of moment out there. And this. Oh, OK. Hold on. The composer of Hello, Dolly uh, reportedly in his late 70s when he saw Wally was apparently overwhelmed by emotion that the thing that he had written had Aww. been used uh, so lovingly in modern culture. Like, uh, which I think is a fun story that he was like, he thought it was great. He was so happy. And I, I could see how if you write something like that, that's kind of forgotten. It's definitely not like in the A-list of memorable historical musicals. And then to see somebody have so much love for it that they integrate it because it is deeply integrated. I, I think you're right, Steve. Like you yeah. listen to some of the lyrics that they use mm-hmm. and the way that song is constructed at the beginning. Like it is brilliantly constructed to what the start of the movie is. And then I, I, I kind of agree that then 
it doesn't make any sense unless more of Hello Dolly is along for the ride. But it really is about the that moment, and then there's that clip where they're they're holding hands that mm-hmm. is it, it, you know that implies you know that Wally is interested in this human concept of holding hands and wants to hold Eve's hand, right. and that's all part of that's all part of it. Well, and that's really where I'm at is you know if it took Hello Dolly to give the world a movie to prove that holding hands can change the world, <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay, let's take a break for a sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Now, while you've been listening to this podcast and enjoying us talking about Wally, how would you know if while you were having a good time, just headphones in, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, and your website has gone down because your computers have betrayed you, as they always will, would you know if your customers are suddenly feverishly clicking on the buy now button and nothing is happening or they're trying to look at whatever content you have on your website and they're getting a blank page or something's broken or it doesn't load? Now, you might go visit your own site while you're listening to this podcast. I don't know why, but if you did, you would stumble on it by luck. That's not good enough. You need a system to alert you to get in your face and say, hey, rogue robots or servers, something like that. What is the message of Wally if not that your computers will betray you and ultimately redeem you? That's right because Pingdom also has computers, but they're there to save you just like Wally. Um, you need Pingdom. This is why you need them. Pingdom is Wally. That's what I'm saying. Not an endorsement by the Disney Corporation, just by me making a, a simile. Pingdom detects about 13 million outages every month, more than 400,000 every day. They keep your sites alive. And they keep them online. It doesn't matter whether you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. There's room in there for everybody to use Pingdom. You'll get alerts about any critical website issues. You can customize how you're alerted depending on how severe the outage is. They will track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what sticky spots may be affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. There's a no-fuss approach to getting started. Just give them the URL you want to monitor, and they will take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now for a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout for 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for protecting us from rogue robots and being nice robots and supporting the incomparable. I mentioned Eve. We should talk about that. So what happens? It's not just Wally and his uh, friend the cockroach. Uh, Spaceship comes. Piloted by a laser, which leads to a, speaking of gags, a, an enjoyable <laughs> gag where Wally is like a cat chasing a laser. Cats, yes. <laughs> it's great because uh, he's found a plant uh, and then he chases a laser. Which seems like a bad idea considering he has a laser cutter integrated into him. And so his probably his experience with a laser would be that he would get sawed in half immediately upon catching it. This is it. like not outside. It's outside his realm of understanding. He's like, well, why is there a laser? Who's What's that about? Where is that coming from? And then there's lots of lasers and a spaceship coming down. But uh, this is how we meet Eve, who is um, one of my favorite pieces of Pixar design ever. Yes. She, I, I believe that the instruction was basically to consider her a 30th century iPod. She is <laughs> she is this sort of series of white shapes, all of which are mm. not connected and kind of float. Mm. And shiny. She reflects everything. She still has the startup chime. She does. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because he has a 20th century iPod sitting in his uh, in his little, his yes, little ATV. He does. 
iPod video with a little magnifier so that he can watch things. I don't know how he hooked it up so that the VHS tape plays on the iPod, but he's brilliant. You know, they they used to have all those extra ports, and then they replaced them all with lightning. Apple had an adapter. Yeah. Oh, well. You know, back (laughs) yeah, this is a dock connector one. It survived. Uh, But Eve, so Eve uh, does talk, and she also, you know, sort of robotically, but she does talk. And Wally's got his way of talking with sounds and a little bit of talking. And you get this kind of like, she's, first off, she's a robotic killing machine, but then he eventually gets her attention. And they have what becomes a, like, weird, charming kind of almost romantic comedy kind of element. She goes from being a, a uh, 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 like using her laser to blow things up to being kind of charming uh, very quickly. And that, I think that's important because later she gets like her directive and gets turned off. And there's this, mm-hmm. this feeling like she's got a bigger purpose, but uh, Eve is, Eve looks great and is adorable. And the scene where, where Wally is charming her by showing her all of his, uh, his human garbage is, uh, is great. I think this, when she shows up, this was a thing that I noted uh, myself as uh, the most not human moment and the most, like the, the most not human thing in the movie and the most human thing in the movie. Because the most not human thing is that she pops up and Wally doesn't immediately want to blow her up. Like she's new and different and he doesn't really seem to be afraid of her he's just sort of unsure and then also very very human because as soon as eve sees something that is outside her experience she immediately explodes it right now wally is smitten with her from the beginning right like wally sees her and he's like Mm -hmm. "Ooh, pretty right like it's very clear from the very start (laughs) because he is a grubby he's a grubby boxy robot and she is this smooth sleek beautiful floating thing yes the opposite of all of it look at those bezels but he's not, but he's like, he's not afraid of her. And his first thought isn't, you know, we got to blow up the things we don't understand. And it is hers. And so to, to watch that in, to watch all of that play out in like 90 seconds was a thing that struck me as like part of why this is a very human movie. Like it's kind of what we wish we were. And then what we are, I think is kind of where I was at with it. And it was, that was the the moment, that little sequence right there when they come across each other was, was the thing that stood out to me to watching it again now. Yeah. I think my favorite thing in this weird little courtship that they have. um, And I think it's probably my favorite thing in the whole movie, because it's just a perfectly directed sequence is um, when she asks Wally his directive Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And he goes over and he quickly scoops up some trash into his little compartment and he does sort of a half-assed job of squishing it together. He opens his compartment, the little brick falls out, a little block uh, of garbage, <laughs> and then it's clear that he's done a crappy job because it immediately collapses. Uh-huh. There's <laughs> yeah. a beat and he goes, ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> and then instead of, instead of shaming him for it, her response is, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> like, Wow. that was the moment when i feel like it that's like the moment when she real like when we noticed that like to her he's not old he's not old and decrepit and boring like he's just so outside her experience and so that's like i never felt like she was humoring him i just enjoyed it we had an early an early indication from her that she's not entirely robotic and and uh and emotionless when as soon as the um the spaceship that dropped her off takes off she sets to flying around, you know, happily as though she's been freed from her bonds. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's right. 
But then, she, you know, if she sees something she doesn't like, she will it, just blast it. Just blast <laughs> it like the cockroach, which is like, mm-hmm. hello, right. cockroaches survive those blasts. Yeah. And- yeah. Another one of those really entertaining moments. Yeah. Like a crater in the ground, cockroach pops out. Yeah, there's definitely some Looney Tunes flavor going on uh-huh. yeah. yes. throughout. Oh, you would think, though, that this isn't her first rodeo. They've been dropping these things off on Earth for 700 years. She should probably have run across something moving or crawling around before and not, you know, be so immediately prone to blowing it up. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe. She looks so brand new. She may be new or they may wipe their memory and, you know, and reuse them. There's a whole, you know, tr- bunch of eaves. Also, maybe she hasn't been to a place that th- that is this. I don't know. I don't know, but you're right. She's the, Eve is the winter soldier of vegetation. <laughs> they just <laughs> unfreeze her periodically, send her out, do a job, put her back in the icebox. With her one weaponized arm. <laughs> and, you know, Wally, Wally saves her from the dust storm because he's a, he's a, the gritty local who knows all the details. And right. she, she gets, he shows a native, yeah. her, uh, her hello dolly and, and the, his collection of, of lighters and other garbage and all of those <laughs> things. Rubik's Cube. The Rubik's Cube, which she yeah. solves, and uh, it's very yeah. disappointing. Um, <laughs> uh, in a very funny moment, because she's like, she's very capable. But um, then she sees the plant, right? Yeah. And this is our big plot mover. This is where the plot starts to kick into gear, is that Wally found this plant, put it in a boot. Um, but she sees it, and we discover, you know, she basically kind of inhales it and shuts down with a little green thing that basically says that she's found her objective and called an uber <laughs> space <Yeah>. uber <laughs> and she's called you know come and pick me up because i finally i finally found it which we find later we find out later has probably been happening quite a while and it just gets suppressed because that's what's about to happen in this story too so it does make one wonder why they continue to send these things out at all i think what we what we are led to believe later is that they're they're smart enough to act on the orders that they were given but not smart enough to drop any of their previous directives so that they still send out the probes but mm. they've also been told to ignore the probes results i okay. i i, I kind of chalk that up to just being that they're computers and as you know steve computers are really dumb that's <laughs> a fair point yeah i just assumed they were different systems like there's one system that sends out all the probes yeah. and that that system doesn't really talk to the one that says we don't need any more probes we good auto knows disregard the probes Right, yeah. but the sure. probe system's yeah. like, yay, probes, it's great. Hey, probes, here we go. Your order A113 does not say don't send the probes out anymore. Right. It says... Don't come back to Earth. Don't, don't come back to Earth. Right, it just says don't come home. But yeah. it doesn't say, you know, dispose of the, the, the vegetation. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's doing some interpreting. They here. should have a nice, like, uh, garden somewhere on the on the ship. Well, it's, it's what happens when the, the, the artificial intelligence has to figure out how to deal with conflicting orders and it has to improvise. And so Otto is truly a genius, underappreciated, much like Hal. Uh, <laughs> R.I.P. Otto. Poor Otto. So Wally uh, hitches a ride on the spaceship back to the Axiom uh, be- with because uh, Eve gets picked up by the spaceship. But Wally basically clamps onto the side and flies through the atmosphere and blasts through the garbage that surrounds the Earth, because apparently the Earth is also surrounded by satellite garbage in addition to having garbage all over its surface. There are probably like space wallies out there picking up that stuff too, you'd think. Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy he gets a whole face full of old satellites yep. that he just wipes away. Yeah, well, you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, space junk. It's just, it's it's fun. It's it's fun. 
one of my favorite shots is is Wally pulling Tom Cruise on the side of the spaceship and just hanging yeah. on for dear life. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I like that uh, the idea. We don't often get to see. It's very Looney Tunes, you know, that would happen in a Looney Tune <laughs> mm-hmm. cartoon that you could ride on the outside of the spaceship, yeah. you know. Uh, but the fact that he's a robot who doesn't have to um, breathe, breathe, <laughs> he can be on yeah. the outside. And and I thought, wow, it never occurred to me how it would be cool if you could just be on the outside of a ride hang like on. that yeah. and, and hang on and you get the much better view. You can only pull that off if you're Wally or Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fair point. I really enjoy the scene, by the way, where he surfs back to Earth on the spaceship mm. doors. Mm-hmm. That's in Wally Two. Sorry, I'm still working on Wally. I'm still working through some know. stuff. Wally, Wally begins. I don't know. Uh, Wally, 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 yeah, Wally and Robin. Wally, yeah. Wally and Robin. <laughs> so uh, it also, I mean, it's his commitment to Eve. He he doesn't want her to leave, and and he's going to follow her and all that. And we go and we go back to the axiom. So then we find out what has happened to the humans, which is they are. Uh, all just kind of like being carried around in chairs. They're, they're, you know, fat. They don't move. They get fed on a regular basis and just kind of like glide around. And the idea here is that humans have devolved, essentially. They don't do anything. They're just pampered by their technology. And they're not going anywhere or doing anything because, uh, as we learn, they basically are in a holding pattern on this giant kind of cruise ship and have been there for um, hundreds of years, or I mean, they're the descendants of the people who've been there hundreds of years. And there is a shot later of the various captains, and you can see the sort of devolution of the captains as they they get the bigger. Expansion and, of the captains, <laughs> and le- and less able to stand, and they end up in little uh, little floating things. You know, I I as as time has worn on, uh, I you know I continue to kind of have a, a little bit of an issue with with uh, you know the the presentation of it being a bit more toward the end of body shaming than, you know, in the expanse, you know, belters, people who, who were born and live outside of gravitation, um, you know, they, they evolve differently where it's, um, I mean, it's strictly about how, you know, look, this is, you know, look at this, this horrible perversion of humanity and this is laziness and this is so on. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, it's it's one of the imperfections in the movie that that I'd feel remiss if I didn't bring up. Um, but they they don't lean entirely in that direction, uh, so I don't think it, it, it I don't think it bothers me as much um, as as it would otherwise. But it's still kind of a okay. We get it, a fat joke. All right, come on. Well, I mean, I think, I think they they don't really lean into fat jokes so much as they're making it very very clear that these are people who have probably never even tried to walk in their entire lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get I get it. It's just it's it's something that. Whether it was the intention or whether it was necessarily, you know, they they tried to be sensitive to it just because so much of cinema history is about, you know, making cheap fat jokes. It, mm-hmm. It's something that 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 no matter what they did to try to go, well, let's make them like oversized babies. It, it still reads a certain way because of what you're used to seeing out there. So it's yeah. it, it's kind of a catch 22. Yeah, it, it's definitely it's hard to imagine that they would do that the same way today, for sure, because. There are other ways of showing, you know, a race devolving into infirmity, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like super over, you know, bloated fat like that. But, um, but I think like it's not that fat people cause the economic or the environmental destruction of the earth, you know, which I I, I don't think that's implied. It's just consumerism caused it, and then here's the the. You know, what can we imagine as the uh, the ultimate end of consumerism, which 
unfortunately, this is a movie that I saw like two months before I went on my first cruise. And so I was like, well, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, OK, I can kind of see what they were talking if about. If you were on a cruise and, and they gave you one of those chairs, this would happen to you, too. I mean, yeah. it's very clear to me that this is, um, you know, Andrew Stanton and uh, he is a, uh, a co-writer, Jim Reardon. I think very clearly this is a satire on Americans. I think that this is them saying Americans are fat and lazy. I, I I mean, it's just that's that's clearly what it is. And would they make those same decisions today? You know, it, it that's what it's that's what it's trying to say. It's not a mistake, right? Like that is they're they're trying to say yeah. if you if you go if you go down this path, if humanity goes down this path, the the world will be ecologically destroyed and you will become a completely motionless blob who doesn't move and just ingests and you know and and so mm-hmm. is it a traditional kind of fat joke i don't think it is but i think that it's definitely you know that it is definitely the message which is you know humanity is te- is trending toward being a motionless blob in a chair and and that you know so take it uh, take it for for what you will i think it's one of the ironically lazier bits of social satire in this movie but i get it i mm-hmm. see what they're doing it mm-hmm. was a pretty it was a pretty easy one pretty easy shot but i see it yeah everybody with their face in a screen was more the part that i noticed i think than the the size or shape of any of the people but it was more that they weren't really paying attention to what they were consuming whether it was on that screen or whether it was uh, in the cups, whatever's in the cups, you know, right. <laughs> whatever's in the cups, it's in those lunch in a cup. The idea is they're amusing themselves to death, right? That's essentially what's yeah. happening here is they have, they literally can have anything right. they want and they know they want for nothing, but it is a, it is a failure yeah. and a, and a horrible thing as much as it is, uh, mm. Uh, you know, delightful that you get everything you want. It's I did. Actually- I did enjoy that. That when this movie came out, I, I was working for the Alamo Draft House, and we had a 700th birthday shake that was a traditional <laughs> milkshake with a cupcake blended into it. And oh, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could absolutely yeah. have cake in a straw. Uh, and uh, and it was it was pretty great. That sounds awesome. I, I just want to point out that like the captains, like I did slow down for that part of the pro- portraits of the captains on the wall, and you know, just curious, like what you know types of people they put in um, you know what kind of diversity there was not much but those their years of service were long like mm-hmm. there was only like seven captains or something mm. in that 700 years so just whatever they are putting in those shakes uh it seems to be <laughs> counterbalancing keep, keep everything else it might be helping yeah well, there's not anything that's going to kill them either yeah yeah well, that's true Other than themselves and rogue robots i suppose yeah from time to time maybe the pool time for a break on this uh, episode of the incomparable for our sponsor rhetoric coffee rhetoric coffee is a subscription and farmer's market event coffee company operating out of berkeley and oakland california i lived in berkeley for a couple of years they commission original art directly from artists each bag you receive has a special life and is a unique work of art now people who know me know how i feel about coffee which is that I don't drink it. 
And that's why I brought on my coffee ringer, Erica Ensign, to help me with this portion of the advertisement. It's a first. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the ad. Hello. I am so excited to be here. I'm buzzing like coffee makes you buzz. So you told me that you have many co- coffee making accoutrements. You are sort of uh, you you enjoy making coffee in various ways. Uh huh. Yeah. It depends on my mood. If I'm going to use my stovetop mocha or the drip machine, usually I go for my French press. That's like the the go to. But yeah, I have and I have multiple sizes of of some of these accoutrements. So yeah. I'm I'm all up in the coffee. So well, let's just say coffee is important to you. It is. That's why you're here as my as my coffee elf. I'm your coffee elf. I love it. Let me tell you, Rhetoric Coffee goes to great lengths to assure fairness uh, in purchasing Farmgate Coffee for their coffees, but also how they pay and negotiate with their artists. Each roast is done on a Loring Smart Roaster, which is energy efficient, environmentally sustainable, and roasts better tasting coffee. That sounds good. Right. I am always looking for the sustainably uh, sourced coffee, the coffee that's you know paying their workers right. Uh, and wow, the artwork thing is is amazing because you know like you you drink with your eyes first. So looking at that package is that's an important thing. Uh, I'm learning so much about coffee now. <laughs> Redder Coffee's commitment to quality is top notch. Most of the coffees they purchase score an 86. Or above, if you start the day with coffee, Erica, check out the good work that the folks at Rhetoric Coffee are doing at rhetoriccoffee.com. You can get 50% off your first purchase by using the code incomparable at checkout. 50% off. It's a great deal. Go give them a try. Thank you to Rhetoric Coffee for supporting the incomparable. And thank you, Erica, for giving me coffee facts. Hashtag coffee facts. You know, so there are people in this movie and there are a couple of characters who meet and John Radzenberger was one of them. And there's like a meet cute and a little like romantic comedy and there's the captain and all that. But really, this is a movie about robots. And so the robots on the Axiom, we get to see many of the robots on the Axiom. Most del- delightfully, Mo, who is oh, like a little Mo. electric razor that cleans up everywhere. <laughs> Foreign contaminant. Foreign contaminant. <laughs> But there are many other robots, um, and there, of course, is Otto, the autopilot, who is the villain of the piece and speaks with the uh, same voice, more or less, as the incomparable announcer. It's a Macintosh. It is Macintosh. It's, it's you know, Macintosh. That's credited as such. It gets a credit. I love that. I love that that's the credit of the film, yes. Captain, sir, I insist you give me the plan. I gotta say, this this is as, as beautiful yet also wacky as the first 30 minute is the total bananas slapstick robot action that happens later in this movie i could not love it more the there are robots <laughs> flying around everywhere and into people and ruining things and then there are other robots that try to stop them and they don't do a very good job and there are the ro- robots gorgeous. alerts everywhere with sigourney <laughs> weaver by the way as the voice yes. of the security <laughs> system Computer. saying danger rogue robots and i just i love all of the all of the robot shenanigans that happen and later wally meets a mega wally who is yes. compacting yeah. large amounts of garbage and he has to sort of be saved from that. And, 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 yeah. you know, the plant goes back and forth. There's a lot of shenanigans with the plant moving here and there and all of that because Otto is out to get them. Uh, but like, to me, this is what I, what I walked away from this movie thinking is Wally is a movie about wacky robots and I don't care. That's great. Like, yes, give me more <laughs> slapstick 
Looney Tunes style action involving zany robot antics on a spaceship. Because, you yeah. know, that's really what this movie is, is an excuse for lots of dumb jokes about robots, I think. I love when he walks in, when he go. well, I guess the right description would be when he goes rip snorting into the island of misfit robots and we find all the ones that don't quite work like the rest of them which wally sort of is because i'm assuming the rest of them don't have quite the personality that wally had and were quite as quirky or interesting or weird or whatever kind of label you want to put on them and i'm guessing the rest of them were pretty straightforward robots that just went and did and then were done at the end of the day and didn't have their own coolers you know to keep the good stuff <laughs> yeah what are the, this is one of the weirdest things about this movie is that you know that first half hour is just a stream of gags and then we go into space and we're on the axiom and yeah theoretically there's this other movie going on with all the humans but in fact <laughs> the gag stream is continuing as almost a separate movie that's happening in the mm-hmm. background and it's so strange. Yes. It's all these robots with personality in the margins of this darker sci-fi thing that's happening. And, and it's almost like they, 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 what they really wanted to do was make an hour and 40 minute long Looney Tunes cartoon about robots. <laughs> about robots, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they didn't think that would hold an audience's attention for that long. So they bolted on this, this, this additional plot line and this really surface level kind of facile satire and called it a day. And it's strange. No, the, the robots have to have somebody to serve. Well, fair enough. But I mean, you could have them okay. be even more ancillary than they already are. Uh, the humans, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, they could they could be the background material. I agree, Steve. Kill all humans. <laughs> it it does lead to some moments of delight where you're in the plot and then suddenly the plot ceases as robots come through and like literally (laughs) literally oh now there are lots of robots running past and doing wacky things and uh yeah i yeah i love those robots and i would almost rather that that be the case where where the robots retain the focus throughout the entire Mm. film instead of us suddenly jumping to the humans and and pretending to care about them because really the biggest problem with that section for me is 30 minutes have already elapsed the robots are already doing their thing. I just, frankly, don't give a rat's ass about any of the humans or the just introduced autopilot villain who really doesn't make much of, a, of an impact at all throughout the entire runtime. And, you know, if you wanted to keep the robots in the fore and just have the humans be, oh, yeah, there's these humans walking around, too, but they're in the background. I, I think I, they should have gone for that. Hmm. I feel like that's what they wanted to do, but they, they, they felt like they had to have you know, a more traditional movie. Maybe a little imposition of the, of the Pixar story group to say, you know, you, you really do need to have <laughs> something here. <laughs> There's no story in this part. You better bolt on some people. Ratzenberger has to keep his union insurance. So can we give him more lines? We gotta pay the dialogue, guys. <laughs> we, we really care whether he meets that. Uh, is he going to date that girl that he, you know? <laughs> no, we don't care. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, Otto is not a character either. He's just... I mean, he's a foil for the kind of small story arc. He can't move that far. So, you know, he can only go so far. The captain has a little story arc where his character moves a little bit and he stands up to the guy. But really, he's just there as a plot device to make it harder for the movie to end, right? He plays hide the plant (laughs) in order to have some, you know, adventures and it gets Wally and Eve outside the spaceship for a moment, which is great because he's got the fire extinguisher and he flies around and it's really pretty and it's just a beautiful scene. But yeah, I mean, I will grant you, Steve, the humans are ancillary. The 
the villain really only exists just to kind of give the plot, you know, a, a structure to hang more gags mm-hmm. on. I mean, it's not because it's ultimately this is not a movie about the people or the villain. It, I know like there's a message there, but like, I agree with you. This is a movie about zany robots. <laughs> that <laughs> is what this movie is. And just you talked about that scene outside where the two of them are outside of the spaceship and, and zipping through space. And I felt like that was payoff in a way for the thir- first 30 minutes, because one of the things that we see Wally experience on Earth is the fire extinguisher that blows him around and knocks him down. Right. And then a little while later, he figures out, like, he remembers that mm-hmm. and, like, starts being able to navigate a little bit by using that. And I loved the payoff of that because it was just a brief moment in the beginning where of of in the stream of stuff that's going by. And I really got a kick out of seeing that later like the first time through watching him like oh yeah this does that let's make it work and i really enjoyed it well that's one of the things that pixar always does so meticulously is they're they're obviously avid students of Chekhov. if uh you know if a fire if a fire extinguisher appears in the first act (laughs) appears in the first act it's going to shoot somebody through space in the in the second or third act steve what you're what you're advocating is chekhov's twinkie principle well anton chekhov once you know his house he once had a fire in his kitchen and so chekhov's fire extinguisher became a standard it was always on the wall and then from there you know you got to use it there are so many little instances of that and that's i think that's what makes these movies so delightful is things like uh, there's the scene where his his little eyepiece gets damaged, and that mm-hmm. exists solely so at the end um, he can point out that if they go to Earth, she can fix him. Right. You know, yeah. and mm-hmm. and you know it's just it's it's wonderful that that all of these pieces fit together so nicely. But also he shows off that's who he that that it's really him with that eyepiece moment too. Like, look, everything works. I mean, it, it is a very economical thing because it also it, the the husks of dead various dead wallies that are laying yes. around and that he's got all the parts <laughs> like if you're a sentient robot, you know that you need to keep, you can't go on eBay for parts, right? You have to just collect <laughs> the parts of the of your dead duplicates and store them <laughs> so that you can you it's actually kind of scary when you think about it that way, but like <laughs> it's it's setting that up too that he's almost like the last of his kind but you're right plot wise it means that there's a solution to solving uh to to saving wally at the end is that he's got spare parts back on earth we can go back to earth and get his parts he finds yeah. a really nice set of treads early on too i the the payoffs the payoffs always lead to those beautiful tableaus they they take the known and lead us into the unknown you know we get that pseudo dance sequence in the stars with the fire extinguisher as as eve ship is is returning to the axiom earlier on we have that beautiful little bit of wally putting his hand through the the stardust that doesn't melt him okay um or otherwise affect him uh he's very well he's built very well yes. he can he can survive <laughs> he survived all those years on earth squishing stuff he survived 700 years yeah he can survive atmospheric exit then again he may be all uh, replacement parts at this point he may be the robot of theseus we don't know he may be built from black box parts. Well, it's Saturn's rings. It's probably just ice. It's just little ice. Yeah, yeah it's like little snowflakes. Right. Shiny ice. Space ice for a yeah. tree. Although it does make one wonder how long those solar panels hold out at that distance and why they park the ship so far away. But hey, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's all fine. Why they it's parked fine. it so far away from the sand crawler? Yeah, right. In my mind, that's always where he lived in a sand crawler. That's mm. just what it looked like. So. 
Okay. Well, you, you put you put an incredibly powerful laser cannon on the arm of an extraterrestrial vegetation extraction unit. <laughs> well, <laughs> various other robots don't seem to have that kind of weaponry attached to them. Well, it's a pretty important mission. Yeah, definitely. When she, she was very scary when she showed up, and I honestly never totally trusted her for, <laughs> after that. Yeah, the same reason I don't trust horticulturists. I don't know if those people in the botanical gardens aren't just, you know, packing a plasma rifle. You never know whose right arm is a blaster. So I, I think an interesting story choice that this movie makes is having Wally get mortally wounded, essentially, and Eve has to, you know, fulfill her mission in a different way like her mission her directive was to bring the plant back but mm -hmm. she needs to now you know really make sure that what happens next is what's supposed to happen the captain helps with that but she has to do that and wally is kind of in you know crushed and not really working right and basically dying and she's going to have to save him back on earth and she has to do the the heroic thing uh and then and then we get the coda at the end where she uh puts his stuff back together and oh no it's not wally anymore but then it actually is wally and it's fine and all of that but like i do think that it's it's an interesting choice and in reading about the history of this movie they really kind of sweated the the conclusion and i think this is a good choice to have eve kind of step up and do the job for wally like you know and, and in honor of him because he's kind of mortally wounded by the uh the crushing mm -hmm. The giant crushing. I liked that she. I liked that she had to, to sort of step up and had this other thing that she kind of had to do. Like, and, but I liked that that she wanted to. Like, she could have just not cared and just been like, "Hey, I got my plant. I'm out." Like, that would have been a reasonable reaction if she hadn't been charmed by him in some way. And you know, like you said. Uh, when she first gets there, she flies around a little bit. So we know she's not 100% by the book, uh, you know, robot. There's a little bit of personality in there somewhere. And I thought that yeah. I thought part of that was was what made it work. Like we've seen sort of throughout the movie that she does have some personality. She's not just, you know, she was sort of having to kind of overcome her programming in order to try to help at that point her friend and you know i i really liked sort of how the she was on the other foot and how she kind of got reeled in by him even though he wasn't there to do it because she was watching all the security footage i really really like that part of the movie when she yeah, sees great. all of the care that he put into her right. even though he was you know getting nothing back and just you know here you know the blanket and the lights and the whole like all of the stuff that he tried to do to care for her you know not knowing or expecting anything back just kind of trying to be nice and and liking her and that was it and i i enjoyed that yeah that's the tearjerker scene in this one I, it certainly doesn't hit like the uh the scene in toy story 2 but that's that's definitely the one that kind of gets the waterworks going for me yeah me too it's it's a great rom-com trope and inversion all in one. It calls back to the while you were sleeping portion of the movie earlier where he was proving himself to be a, a good person in it for the right reasons and, you know, being a, a careful, conscientious person. And uh, and it also made it to where the the, the girl in the uh, heteronormative uh, robot relationship uh, <laughs> is not the only one <laughs> that is that, that is a damsel in distress. Why? Yeah. Why? Why do robots have genders? I don't know. It's a movie. Whatever. <laughs> it's easier to market them, Jason. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. They're never actually gendered. They could be either thing. 
or you know anything really. They, they could, except that Eve and Wally are are gendered well, names, and their names sounds and... are gendered. But yes, you're right. It's true. It's true. They're just robots. Their gender is robot, folks. Robots That's can right. love other robots. It's fine. Sure. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, look, if if we're gonna get into it, like really, the only thing that that takes me out of this movie in the whole romance sense is that, you know, no matter how cute the interactions between the two are and no matter how loving they are. That's going to take a lot of adapters for this relationship to work. (laughs) First of all, it's it's hard for me to to forget these are two robots. Leave it to Jason to take us to Dongletown. Well, I mean, let's, let's be, there's, that's definitely a point too. I mean, there's, there's almost no chance that they have the same uh, interface ports at this point. Um, you know, he's probably got a mini jack and she's got HDMI or their interface language is love guys. It's love. No, you go, okay. you know, you go from firewire to thunderbolt to thunderbolt three to USB four and you know, sure. you can chain it out. You can, huh. And one of them is probably ADB. Leave it to two men to understand, to believe that wireless charging doesn't exist. <laughs> we know the wireless charging works because that's how she gets him back. <laughs> On a more fundamental level, though, we're looking at a a uh, a love story between two programmed pieces of metal, which it's hard for me to to lose that sort of uh, skepticism about it. It's it's sort of like you know watching my wrench develop an attraction to the chainsaw. Well, it's like... I mean, they're anthropomorphized. I mean, we talked about Looney Tunes a few times. It is it is really not very it different is. from a a, an, a talking animal movie, right? Like yes. these are these are. Robots yep. with emotions, and suffice right. it to say, they have them. However, they got them is it, it is literally a trash compactor falling in love with I don't know an iPod with a laser beam. Yeah, an upgraded <laughs> iPod. Uh, but but it's true. I, I think you just got to go with it like you would with uh, talking animals or something like that. Now but. I just want to know if there's an aftermarket kit that I can get for my iPod to give it a laser arm mm. because like all it does right now is play video. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still in Dongletown. I'm thinking about the. Yeah. Anyway, um, get your mind out of the digital gutter. Filthy. I can't believe that Steve is on this and you're the one going that direction. You have to adapt from VHS tape to uh, analog digital converter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now you're ruining my favorite moment, so, which was uh, when she unspools <laughs> the VHS tape oh, and no. he freaks out. Oh, no. And I was oh. like, that was so funny. He, like, she has no idea what she's doing. She's yeah, she's so modern. Anyway. She doesn't even know what videotape is. And Wally right. knows exactly what videotape is. You got to wind it back, wind it back, wind it back. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. Although when he <laughs> plays it, it still has a little little like fuzz to it. She's ruined that tape. Fortunately, she Wally has, has 18 <laughs> other Hello Dolly VHSs in a bin somewhere. So <laughs> it'll be okay. And the only reason that, that she's allowed to even do that is because he's temporarily so blown away by the fact that she solved the Rubik's Cube that he loses track of the fact that he's just handed her the, the precious oh, tape. Oh, here, have this. Yeah. yeah. That that moment is very dear to me because I once did that to an A-track tape when I was very, very small <laughs> and didn't know. And uh, someone left it where I could reach it and I didn't know and like picked it up oh, no. and, hey, what's this? And yeah, the next thing my parents know, I'm like ankle deep in, you know, I don't remember, top country classics yeah. or something. And <laughs> like, Neal. Oh, no, not the top country classics. <laughs> Willie Nelson was everywhere. Like, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't. I don't remember what it was. I just know that um, my dad was very unhappy about it for a very long time. Which reminds me, I meant to go back and pause it. Has anybody checked to see what it is that he rewinds the tape spool with? Because it's it's not a pencil because that's too small. It's no, not. That wouldn't work. Or is it? Or does he just use one of his fingers? No, no. It's he picks something up off the shelf. No, he picks up a. He looks for a, a thing a and picks up a yeah. thing. Yeah, a winder. Yeah, he does have a winder. Mm, I feel like it's got to be a gag of some sort. It can't just be a regular old winder. 
<laughs> uh, another thing interesting when I was reading about the making of this movie is it ends with the ship landing and everybody getting back out and all the humans are on Earth. And it, the movie has spent a, quite a bit of time explaining that humans are these like Cecil uh, monsters that just float in their little <laughs> chairs and that's all they do. And apparently the reason for one of the things that I really like about this movie was that, uh, which is the end credits, is that Andrew Stanton was concerned that people wouldn't believe that the humans on the Axiom were capable of surviving on the surface of the Earth. So <laughs> I they, certainly did. So they created, yeah. I, I think I think it's kind of brilliant. They created this animated sequence that runs with the Peter Gabriel song that's playing, that runs yes. over the beginning of the end credits, that shows the, repop the happy repopulation of the Earth by humans and robots. And like... It's fun and it's kind of also fun that there's a cartoon at the end that tells the like while you're watching the movie tells you what happens next. But also mm -hmm. it, it you kind of do need that reassurance that they didn't all just die horribly right. when they got to Earth. Right. Obviously, Andrew Stanton has been studying his Miyazaki. And if John Syracuse were here, he would tell you that's probably where he cribbed it from. And I'm sure he has a story. Yeah. about it. But I mean, that's <laughs> that's exactly the same thing as you get in the Miyazaki movies. Yeah. Which, you know, they just unceremoniously end with the story sort of unresolved. And then we kind of get to see little bits and pieces of the story as it But resolved. it all worked out. It's fine. Yeah. It's a movie. It's over. Well, Goodbye. Sure. <laughs> I, I, th I thought I thought you were going to say that the invention that uh, that solved uh, problems is the Peter Gabriel song, which to me is a total banger. Like, <laughs> it's a really great Peter Gabriel song. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's catchy. It sticks in your head. And it is telling a story that's related to the movie. And you combine that with the very cute kind of animated bits that happen at the end of the movie. And I think it, I think it solves the end of the movie. Whereas yeah. a movie that just went like fade to black and music starts to play, there would definitely be a lot of people saying like, they, they died, right? Like, there's no They're way. All, this is, that is the end of the, yeah, that was the end of them. There's just, gar there's just cubes of garbage out there. And these people have been on a cruise ship for 700 years. They totally died, right? It's like, no, no. Or they just flew back into space. Space, continue to be lazy and then died of that eventually they, they listened to peter gabriel and picked like fruit from trees and were happy and it was fine it's and okay pizza plants yes and pizza plants that was the thing i was excited about. here's the thing jason all these rules don't apply when you're high in the sky mm -hmm. so come, come on, on down. down come on down yeah i love the ending sequence it's one it, it's a thing i really really enjoy about the movie because i love how it starts as cave paintings and then evolves yep as you go through the story. And I really, really liked watching, like, even the first time through, I really liked, like, oh, that's what happened. And now I like to just kick back and, and continue looking at it. Like, oh, this looks like, you know, it goes from, from cave paintings to slightly more advanced art to slightly more advanced art to slightly more advanced art. And it's really fun to watch the evolution of all that. And at the same time, you're also getting the, the story of what happened. And it's so economical in how they tell everything and how you get to kind of find out like yeah this is this is what happened everything's fine it's all it's all okay yeah it works great for me too and it's absolutely necessary after the scene where fred willard cheerfully announces that their bones have probably <laughs> dissolved in the last 700 yes. years yes <laughs> i like the i like the anatomical drawings too like <laughs> showing yeah. like the dissolved bones <laughs> take take a couple of laps who better than yeah. Fred Willard to cheerfully give you terrible news and terrible sure. advice and just... That's exactly who. Yeah. It almost makes you happy about it. Because that, that last reveal where he's like, okay, hey, everybody, the world is ended and we can't bring you back. So good luck, right? Like, I'm out of here. <laughs> amazing. 
It's great. In retrospect, now, uh, now that this show Avenue Five exists, uh, it to me is <laughs> yeah. is uh, at some point Armando Iannucci drained the wrong bottle of wine and went, you know what, <laughs> that could be way darker. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, how, you know uh, Fred Willard was a live action character in Wally. What if we did a whole show that was just the live action stuff from Wally? <laughs> just uh, the live action stuff of Wally. All the humans are live action cartoons uh, and and completely ridiculous. Yeah, it it is it is very dark and it is the kind of show that makes you go, I think I need to watch Wally because I need my my faith in humanity restored just a bit. Um, but yeah, it's it's odd that a movie that does such a good job of making the robots radically more interesting than the humans does so much to emotionally send home the the notion of optimism that that people can overcome a lot, even certain apocalypse that cannot be recovered from and everything. It just uh, I I love that that throughout this movie we get we get a lot of cheering stuff in the face of you know 700 years of apocalypse that that kind of hopefulness springing forth is is something that that helps make it so special all around you know we may have destroyed the earth and turned it into a huge garbage dump and may have gone (laughs) into space and become just blobs uh that don't know where they're going or what they're doing but you know what we did do we made a cute robot people that's what we did before we left. Yeah. Made a really cute garbage robot. So let that be our legacy. We made Peter Gabriel record that one song for us before we took off so that we'd have it available. When we for, came back. That's when we came back. Yeah, I, I, like to, I like to imagine that it was queued up on the PA system of the Axiom. And when it lands, they just start playing down to earth. It's like, sure. we, we spared no expense, Fred Willard says. We got Peter Gabriel to record this. <laughs> And all of these posthumans look at Fred Willard and they're like, what is what that? Is that? What Wally is that Wally pulls out a, a, you know, his so CD and says, it's here. <laughs> um, anything else we should talk about about Wally before we go? It is one of their most effectively merchandised Pixar movies to me. It is something that every year I end up getting some kind of Wally something, whether hmm. it is uh, like Funko Pops entered my life uh, thanks to my girlfriend and the Wally Funko Pops are the ones that I find the least garish. Um, oh, I've got yeah. a host <laughs> of enamel pins. I've got matching Wally and Eve m- coffee mugs. Um, the only other Pixar thing that I've like I- I've actively got stuff of is I've got like Ratatouille uh, teacup uh, uh, plates and uh, and like some kitchen stuff. Uh, but there's. <laughs> As as weird as as it seems, the movie that is all about global mecha mega merchandising and uh, and and uh, physical possessions dooming the planet, uh, <laughs> they they tend to make pretty great physical uh, possessions. I was going to say um, the irony of Funko Pop Wally material when that's like the Funko Pops are the first thing that's going in the garbage <laughs> cube uh, is not lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still annoyed though that they insisted on putting this in a paper sleeve instead of a plastic one because it completely throws off the uh, the chi of my entire DVD shelf. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. So this is um I've seen this only a couple of times. I watched it a couple of times before we did our first uh comprehensive Pixar episode several years back. Frankly, we're just we're just covering the hits yes. this time. Oh yes, we covered everything the first. Listen sure. to those five minutes where we talked about Wally four years ago, and you can get a lot out of it. <laughs> Sorry, eight years ago. I don't know. That was a long time ago. And and I realized when I sat down to watch it that I don't think I've watched it since I watched it for that episode many many years ago, and I think it's because as much as I enjoy watching the stream o gags while it's going on, 
it's not something that pulls me back to the movie that often. And, um, you know, I really like this movie. I want to, I want to emphasize that I, I very much enjoy it when I watch it. And I, I, you know, I have misgivings about the section with the humans on the spaceship and I think some of it's kind of unnecessary and, and sits sort of oddly tangential to the real meat of the movie, but I really do enjoy it. And, and I just think that there's, because it's so much just a, a an extended Looney Tunes cartoon and the sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, message isn't the right word, but, you know, that the more dialogue-oriented or, um, you know, less gaggy part of the other the other uh, Pixar movies isn't there. It doesn't, it doesn't make me want to revisit it as often, even though I greatly enjoy it when I do watch mm-hmm. it. So as much as I do like this movie a lot, I'd say it's probably, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make my top five uh, Pixar's, but I, I do enjoy it a lot. Kelly, do you have any uh, final Wally thoughts? Uh, I feel very differently from Steve only because um, I think it's, it's like we talked about, it's a very optimistic movie and it's a very um, sort of like determined optimism. And sometimes I feel like I really want that. So uh, I have watched it. I don't know that it's regularly, but I have pulled it out often since uh, picking it up on DVD and when it came out. And uh, since then, like I've, I've watched it every so often just to sort of get that bit at the end where uh, everybody, everybody comes off the ship and, you know, and, and comes back and really tries to take another crack at it, you know, cause none of these people had a chance to try to do anything, you know, on earth cause they've never been there before. So I really like that piece of it. And I like the, the, positive outlook that we get kind of at the end like yeah there's a very good chance that like all of this worked out and everything's fine and sometimes um you know like 2020 uh that's a really nice message to get (laughs) that you can start somewhere very very dark and then end up you know someplace a a little bit better with peter gabriel as the soundtrack Hmm. gene do you have any final thoughts yeah that definitely you know connecting into that it's it definitely struck me differently watching it this time than in 2008 of feeling like, huh, that's kind of like me, like just chunking out like big <laughs> squares of recycled garbage. It's recycling night as we were recording tonight, you know, and I have my co- I don't have cockroach friends, but I have, you know, I as pay far more as attention. you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but I um, I do kind of pay attention to the spiders in my house and what they're doing, and I I tend to not kill them, and and uh, I watch corny movies, you know, to pick me up, and so yeah, it it's that it struck close to home, like you know, that, and also in an optimistic way that oh, Wally is doing fine um, on his own, and eventually, you know, a spaceship will come and turn things around for him like me. Uh, you know, I've, I've spent over two months completely isolated aside from the random people wearing or not wearing a mask uh, in the grocery store, you know, picking up takeout, that kind of thing, uh, completely on my own. And so that, I mean, that I, I've rewatched this movie. Uh, Are you playing Hello, Dolly on a loop, Moises? Is that also happening? <laughs> I, there's, there's been, there, well, there's been something to that. I've, I have actually found myself, you know, singing and dancing to show tunes throughout my house to an audience of cats um, <laughs> that, that are not Jellicles too. Uh, I should specify <laughs> watching that first chunk of the movie. It, um, it really, it had a more calming and therapeutic 
uh, and cathartic kind of effect than I expected it to. And this is a movie that I watched as recently as about six months ago. It definitely plays differently right now uh, at the time that we are (laughs) recording this. Um, And it, it, it reminded me of things that I keep saying to myself, Oh, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to get around to that. And, uh, and there, there is a unique kind of escape that we may not even necessarily bargain for when we pull something off the shelf or pull something off the digital shelf or digital locker or whatever. There, there, there's something special to this movie that, I mean, it's why people will go 10 years without watching it, but still buy 17 different Funko Pops, uh, all encased <laughs> in uh, Steve infuriating paper products Damn um, you. that don't match any of his plastics. <laughs> did you did you think you'd escape from routine by changing the script in the scene? Despite all you made of it, you're always afraid of the change. You got a lot on your chest. Well, you can come as my guest. Come on down. Um, yeah, that that Peter Gabriel song, it always, it always moves me a little bit and it just, it moved me in other ways and different ways than I expected this time. So yeah, it, this is, this is one of those one. It's, it's right there on Disney plus everybody's got the Disney plus these days, you know, watch it. Why not? <laughs> Moises Chuyan raves, watch it. Watch why, it. Not? why not? You have it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> While dancing in front of a cat. What are you going to do? Watch Homeward Bound again? It's going to be there whether you want to watch it or the not. The computer watch t- wore tennis shoes is also there. This is better than that. What are you going to do? Zoidberg <laughs> says, why not eat some garbage? I'm back at getting to perform for an audience. Like, I I dance around and sing show tunes, but I don't have any audience. So clearly I need to get some cats. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. All right. Well, this has been a nice additional uh, entry in addition to that episode where we talked about all Pixar into the Pixar nice, club. if entirely unnecessary. We'll have entry. to do it again at a uh, at a later date with a different Pixar movie that we haven't covered except in that one episode Cars where two, we covered Cars all two, of them. Cars 2, Cars 2, uh, Cars 2, But I would like to thank, before we go, my guests one last time. Gene McDonald, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful. Kelly Gamont, thanks for being here. Stay tuned. Apparently Moises and I are going to have a podcast where we reenact Broadway numbers for everybody from the comfort of our homes. Well, Moises Chuyan, thank you. Foreign contaminant. <laughs> and Steve Lutz, thank you. Thank you, Jason. This has been a delight. Uh, and everybody out there, danger, rogue robots. And uh, we will also be back next week <laughs> with another edition of The Incomparable. <laughs> <laughs>